0: And so it's my privilege this morning to introduce um, our speaker, uh, Mike Abendroth. Uh, Mike is a 1996 uh, graduate of TMS, the Master's Seminary, and he received his Doctor of Ministry from the Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary in expository preaching, his Doctor of Ministry. Also, he's an adjunct professor at the European Bible Training Center and a doctoral mentor at the Master's Seminary. And um, like I said, he, uh, Mike is a godly man. He is a godly husband to Kim, his lovely wife, a uh, godly father, I know, to his four kids, uh, three daughters, and one son. He is a good friend of mine, and he's a man who absolutely loves to preach Christ. So come and preach Christ, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Well, it is good to be back here, Calvary Bible. Uh, I think, uh, apart from this weekend, the last time I was here was about 28 years ago. My wife and I sat right over there, and uh, I was a brand new Christian, and someone said to me, uh, you ought to be in ministry, or, or have a ministry, rather. And uh, I said, well, oh, I don't know really what that is, but I, if you think so, I w- I'll do it. And uh, they told me I should maybe be a helper in something called a wanna. and so... Uh, Twenty-eight years later, I'm standing in the pulpit. It's a great honor. I love your pastor and his wife, and as I said at the marriage conference, one of the main reasons I'm here is, of course, to proclaim Christ Jesus, but I want to encourage your pastor and uh, come alongside of him. Uh, I don't know when's the last time you prayed for your pastor, but if you do pray for him, keep praying for he and his wife and family. And if you uh, haven't said to the Lord lately, Lord, thank you uh, that I would have a pastor who would stand behind this pulpit, no matter what's going on in the world and in the life, and the church, and his own life, he will say exactly what he read in Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim. You know, I've been around the world. I travel around the world and preach. And I don't know, dear congregation, I hope it's true of you, that you know how important it is and how blessed you are to have a godly man standing in the pulpit. And so I hope you show your appreciation in lots of ways, including prayer. You owe me. No, just kidding. <laughs> he, he didn't ask me to say that. True, he didn't ask me, but it's true that he owes me. <laughs> now, don't turn your Bibles there quite yet, but today we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 5. Many of you I know probably do what I do, and that is, if it's the 11th, we read Proverbs 11. If it's the 28th, we read Proverbs 28, because it's, it's good to get wisdom from God. It's good to get wisdom from God that's actually ordained by him. Can you imagine when the Lord Jesus came to earth? He could have easily said, Jonah's a myth. Uh, All all the things in numbers aren't true. And by the way, some of this stuff like Proverbs 5 and 6 and 7 that talks about sexual purity and immorality. uh, That's not really true. But in fact, Jesus did what instead? He affirmed it and confirmed it as the Lord God Almighty putting his stamp of approval on that Old Testament. All Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out, and it's good for you. So sometimes when we come to passages like this, we may be reticent because uh, we, we think we have children or you have to be careful how you talk. I just want you to know, dear Christian, dear parent, dear young person, everything in the Bible should be proclaimed from the pulpit without excuse. True? We shouldn't be embarrassed about anything in the Bible. And so I will hide behind the language of Scripture. It's not going to be an inappropriate message, but it'll be very direct. And by the way, it's needed because the world is very direct about its message when it comes to sex and the sex ethic, our lack thereof. But before we look at Proverbs 5, that gives us what we would talk about as imperatives or commands or our law for us... It's good to remember the law giver. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and couch everything so it just does not become morality. Uh, I think every sermon that's ever preached, every Sunday school that's ever taught, every VBS that's ever delivered has to have the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the exaltation of Christ for the message to make sense. If you can just give a morality message that makes sense without Jesus, it's not Christian. And of course, dear Christian, we are today celebrating the Lord Jesus, the risen Savior, on the Lord's day. So when we come to the book of Ephesians, it's very interesting to me, in chapter 5, how we see this dynamic based on who Jesus is, who we are in Christ, and the outflow of that is sexual morality. And so we just can't go to tell people, you know what, Uh, you need to do this, and you need to think that, and you need to do more of that. It's in light of who you are in Christ. So to be reminded of that this morning, Ephesians five one. therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. And when you think of love, you're thinking agape love, are you not? Self-sacrificial, costly, for the benefit of another. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Early on, Paul says in this chapter, I want you to walk in love. I want you to imitate the Lord Jesus with his agape, self-sacrificial love as you self-sacrificially love others. Because he's going to say in verse 3 and following, there's the opposite of self-sacrificial love. There's the opposite of agape. There's the opposite of giving. It's called sexual immorality, and it's all taking. You think of Jesus and his his sacrificial life and, and death. He's giving. For God so loved the world, he... He gave, and he he gives himself up for us with this extreme illustration, the best illustration of love, because for the Lord Jesus, divine love is all give, right? But sexual immorality is all get. It's all take. And do you see the context there? Do you see the difference? Verse 3, but, contrast, sexual immorality and all impurity are covetousness And by the way, it's easy to be deceived with this because we have friends and relatives and loved ones. But the text is clear, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, these sexual sins as a lifestyle, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so to couch Proverbs chapter 5, I just want you to think about it in a Christian fashion. If I can make up words, I want you to think of Proverbs 5 Christianly. Right, I want you to read your Old Testament as a Christian. I want you to think to yourself, yes, the Proverbs are important. They're commands, they're imperatives, they're law. But they're in context of who you are in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, you are in the one who at his own life, his own sacrifice, gives himself. True or false? Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. True or false? I hope say true because it's John chapter 15, verse 13. Our congregation back in Massachusetts always knows if he says true or false, it's probably a Bible verse say true. <laughs> but I could trick you on this one, true or false. He loved me and gave himself for me. That's Galatians 2.20. 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So dear Christian, I just want to remind you everything that the Lord has done for you. This is going to be a response to him. By the way, if you're not a Christian here today, this won't make any sense. Can you imagine the Christian sexual ethic for the unbeliever? It makes no sense. But because we all, myself included, have had great sins and still sin, there's a lot of guilt that we have. The grace of Christ Jesus is greater than our guilt, is it not? Right When Jesus said, it is finished, he assuaged God's wrath for all of our sins, including sexual sins, by the way. And since my guilt was great, and his grace was greater, I should respond with what? Gratitude. An obedience with gratitude. a a A joy to say, you know what, I'm not going to earn my salvation by staying pure, but because of who Jesus is and who he was, and the pure one, I want to live a life commensurate with my calling, Right? That's Ephesians chapter 4. Walk in a manner, what? Worthy of your calling. If this is a a scale here, you know, you you balance weights and stuff. What's this part called? Fulcrum. Okay, that's what I... Sometimes when I ask questions, I don't know the answer and I'm trying to get them. But I I knew the answer on that one. (laughs) Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians. Who you are in Jesus. He, He chose you in eternity past. The Son died for you. Father chose you the son died for you, the spirit sealed you god 's rich in mercy by grace you 've been saved through faith that 's weighty stuff, so chapters four through six you live in a, you live a life commensurate with your calling to kind of balance it out that 's what he 's saying, including with your sexual life so in light of that let 's turn to Proverbs chapter five because I think now we 're thinking in a Christian fashion of how we look through anything when it comes to complaining, who am I in Christ is the place to start. When it comes to me ministering, who am I in Christ to start? When it comes to Proverbs, you ought to regularly remember that these are in the context of who I am in Christ. Super simple outline. Number one, avoid sexual immorality. Run from it. Be like a Joseph. Number two... Enjoy sexual morality. I think I learned that in seminary. And in fact, it is the outline with maybe a P.S. God is watching everything. And uh, what we'll notice right from the beginning with the outline, if my outline is true, here's what you should notice. The Christian sexual ethic, friend, is not don't. It's not no. It's not, it's re- revolting. It's, re- it- it's disgusting sexual immorality is, in fact but when it comes to this idea god is a creator god has invented our bodies god has invented sex god has invented all these things that we'll look at here and his ethic is not don't it's don't in anything besides marriage but in marriage it's yes enjoy is that true That's true. So I don't want you to, because if you're a parent saying, you know, the world's selling all this stuff and the Christian response is no. That's not the Christian response. And I think you'll see that here. Chapter 5, I almost said Song of Solomon. It could be, uh, practically. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I read once, no pastor should preach Song of Solomon from the pulpit. And I thought, no pastor should preach Song of Solomon in a gross way from the pulpit. But it's this pretty language full of poetry and it has enough of obscurity to the language that you know what it's saying but it's not vulgar, right? It's appropriate. So then I had to preach right away because if somebody tells me not to do something, I want to do it, right? (laughs) The world is going to sell your children and you, day by day, with the siren song, here's how you should think about sexual fulfillment. But we should learn a lesson from Eve. Eve to see with our ears and listen to what God's word said, right? Avoid immorality. Enjoy morality when it comes to sex. God is watching. Okay, ready? We're just going to walk through this passage and you're just going to just kind of feel yourself drawn in to a father talking to a son. P.S. as I talked about it yesterday I hope you dads regularly talk to your children about this. And moms too. Here comes the avoiding part. Starts with a warning. My son, Proverbs 5.1. Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. It's parental instruction. If If you like homeschooling, this is in fact homeschooling. Very dear. Here is sex education from God's perspective. And I like the way he talks. Be attentive to my wisdom. I probably would not be as articulate as that, I'd probably just say to my son Luke, listen up. Heads up. Right? This is important. He he, he wants to, to get your attention. Everyone listen. And by way, the way, with this topic, we usually have attention. Right? Because we realize it's an important thing. It's a damaging thing. It's a wonderful thing all at the same time. Be thoughtful about this. Be prudent about this. Be wise about this. Verse 2. Why? That you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge verse 3 you're going to notice something that's going to happen in this warning you're either going to listen to the adulterous woman the sexually immoral or you're going to listen to your dad and in this case scripture people are talking you're going to listen to them or you're going to listen to the lord who will to whom will you listen for the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey. I mean, the language here is just, it just paints the picture so, so brilli- brilliantly. Her speech is smoother than oil. It's going to be her words are the Lord's words. And it's not even going to be the kisses of her mouth. It's going to be the way she talks. And she knows how to smile. She knows how to whisper. She knows how to lure you in, dear son. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Mark this well in the book of Proverbs. The wise person says, there's the day after. And the fool says, I don't care now. Regularly, You'll see in the book of Proverbs, in wisdom literature. Count the cost. Remember tomorrow. Remember there's a future. Remember cause and effect. There's going to be effect to this. And the end isn't good. As Thomas Watson said, starve your sins. Either kill your sin or your sin will kill you. John Owen said something similar. Verse 5... You almost feel like you're going downhill. It's like the the rock is pushed and down we go. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. She just is roving around this changeling, morphing around. Slippery. Shifty. Proverbs 30 says, the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. Watch out. Watch out for this kind of person. This is a dad talking to the son. This is our father through the word talking to us. There's a price for infidelity. Verse 7, And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. You're either going to listen to her words or you're going to listen to my words, which are, of course, Scripture. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. She's she's dangerous. Give a wide berth. Stay away. It's not how close can I get to the cliff without falling off. Give it a wide berth. Remember Potiphar and Joseph? And she kept saying, lie with me. And it came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day that he did not listen to her. It's the words... He did not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household were there. And she caught him by his garment saying, it's either her words or the words that he's been taught from Scripture, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand. and, and Sorry, and when she saw that, he had left his garment in her hand and he had fled outside. This hero, Joseph, runs. And by the way, you could lose a lot if you're going to fall into sexual immorality. Verse 9, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. It could be blackmail. We don't know the details. We just know there's a cost. It might cost money. Verse 10, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and i have no idea if this is paying off the husband i don't have no idea if this is child support i don't know if this is money for the prostitute i have no idea it's just going to cost a dad is telling the son think about this and it's going to cost your health maybe too verse 11 and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed Sexual sin harms the body. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 says. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Therefore, flee immorality. As you're listening to this, dear Christian, if you're caught up in any kind of sexual sin, whether it's online or in person, you ought to run. You ought to flee. This is a time to repent as you hear these messages, this message and you hear God's word. You think, you know what? It's time now. God, help me. Please forgive me. I repent. Because there are if onlys. There are, it's too late. Verse 12. And you say, how I hated discipline. You should have thought of that earlier, son. And my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers. He listened to the wrong words. It's either her words or these words from the teacher, from the dad, from the Lord himself. Or incline my ear to my instructors. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of what? Death. Think about this. The world just says, forget about it. Swipe right. If it feels good, do it. I mean, if if you're hungry for lunch and you go eat, there's no harm in that. If you're hungry for relations with another person, how can there be any harm with that? That's what the society thinks and society mocks us and, and, and says all these things. We shouldn't be surprised. But God says, there's a here and now and there's an after. And we all ought to remember that. Verse 14, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. I mean, can you imagine the public disgrace and the humiliation when this is found out? You'll see language like this in chapter 6. Before we finish chapter 5, I I want you to go to chapter 6 and see some of the same kind of language. And here's the language. You'll either listen to this woman, to the world, and if you're a woman, listen to a man's seduction, or you'll listen to the Lord God. It's a battle of the words. It's, it's a battle of who you're going to listen to. Do you see it? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. I mean, every father, every mother wants their son and their daughters, their sons and daughters, to be fulfilled in life, to have a great life. Yes? And to have intimacy in the bedroom, to have children, to have uh, wonderful things in life. We all want that, but we also want to warn our children, so we we teach them. Verse 21, bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. You can see this this figurative language. This is important. I'd probably say to Luke, tattoo it on your forehead. No, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Figuratively tattoo it. When you walk, verse 22, Proverbs 6, they'll lead you. When you lie down, they'll watch over you. And when you're, when you're awake, they'll talk with you. This is language of Psalm 23. Shepherding language, guiding language, goading language, directing language. That's what this word does. And you know, as, as this, this is a fact for the Christian. You know how the word of God convicts and confronts and guides and, and directs. It's, 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 a, it's a word that's living. It does its work. Chapter 6, verse 23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Why? To preserve you, the word of God, preserves you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. It's either her words or the words of Scripture. By the way, if you hardly ever read the Bible, and you think you're regularly tempted with sexual sin... Uh, I think you 'll always be tempted with sexual sin, but you need to be reading your Bible because Jesus said, "Sanctify them with truth, thy what? Word is truth. This' is one more reminder: I-, I-, I need the Word of God. and it 's not as simple as well, you struggle with sexual sin. Did you read your Bible today? Now we can kind of come off glibly, but you need to be reading your Bible to think god 's thoughts. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, verse 25. Do not let her capture you with her eyelids. It's about the heart. It's about coveting in the heart. She, she knows what she's doing. And of course, the truth is for the opposite sex. But here, he's talking to the son. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down precious life. It's going to cost you. This married woman is acting like a prostitute, but she didn't even charge That's the point. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Elicit sexual activities like playing with fire. Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. And by the way, you see the comparison how this lesson is Pushed. Verse 30, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. But he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He'll get wounds, dishonor, disgrace, will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious. He will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. And so, dear Christian, since Jesus has saved you, you want to make sure there are things that you say yes to, but the things you say no to and you avoid. I've had people say to me, you know, this things going on in the office and, and this girl I'm flirting with and this, that, and the other and all that stuff. And, and I said to this one guy, you ever consider getting a new job? Oh, oh no. Well, there's an after. To what extent do we have to mortify the flesh? People will write me and they'll say, well, my, you know, my husband's watching pornography and, and what do I do? And I say, does he have a laptop? What does he watch the pornography on? Yes, a MacBook Pro, 3000 bucks." I said, there's two kinds of hammers, generally speaking. Uh, there's a claw hammer and there's a ball-peen hammer and ball-peen hammers work real fine. Oh, I just couldn't do that. Okay, well, you're asking me my, my question, a question. Maybe next time you call me and say, I have a question for you and I'd like you to give me the answer that I want to hear. see compared to me campus is nice that's part of this whole strategy you see what's going on here i do that for a second homiletically because this is heavy stuff and i just want us to kind of take a breath okay we just we relax it for a second but this is important the, the way we live our creator has made us to honor him and it's very important It's serious, and the world just keeps... I mean, it gets the bullhorn out and just says exactly the opposite. If you go to Proverbs 7, the way Solomon paints this picture, it's certainly not pornographic, but it's pretty graphic. It gets your attention. There's something about sitting down with a son and teaching them the Bible, and I always tell parents... You know, don't act bored when you teach the children the Bible because they're going to get bored. It's kind of like, okay, kids, it's family Bible time. Daddy loves the Bible. Daddy can't wait to teach you the Bible. Oh, I love the Bible. Let's see what God says today. That's how you should teach your kids. It shouldn't be, all right, kids, it's time for Bible study. You're going to love it. I mean, you can, when you read Proverbs 7, you're going to go, my son's going to pay attention to that. That's why he's writing it like this. You can say things in an epistle, run from sexual immorality, and then you can talk this way. You're like, okay, this adds. This is a different way to say the same thing. My son, verse 1, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Do you notice? Either listen to her words or his words. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. It poked in your eye. It hurts. You're going to guard that. I wear glasses before I ride the bicycle. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. I could say, hide God's word in your heart that you might not what? Sin against him. I've listened to so much music in my life as a disc jockey. Sometimes I can just think of a lyric that matches a situation. It's just default. So in my mind, I want Bible verses that match the situation. So instead of thinking about, I don't know, what's an innocuous band? Toto. Um, <laughs> I've met two people recently that think that's the greatest rock band of all time. <laughs> There's so much Bible in you, they asked Spurgeon, when he gets you know, cut, and Bunyan said the same thing, out comes Bible verses, out comes bibling Verse 4 say to wisdom, You're my sister. This is wedding vow language. Call insight your intimate friend. I will take this person to be my wedded wife. I'm going to say to wisdom, You're my wife. You're my family. Why? To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. See it? Her words are the Lord's words. And here comes the illustration. It, by the way, is a devilish drama. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice. I don't know if Solomon's thinking about his father or not, maybe. I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a, a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, P.S. He should be fleeing. He should be running. People love the dark because their deeds are evil. In the twilight, there's a description of time. In the evening, there's a description of time. At the end of night, there's a description of time. And in the darkness, there's a description of time. And behold, a woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily at heart. She's telegraphing her intent. She's not beating around the bush. She's advertising what she wants. She's loud. She's wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street. Now in the market. At every corner she lies in wait. She's looking for you, young man. They're out there. And the same's true for young ladies. He's out there. She seizes him, verse 13. Kisses him with a bold face. Mark this. She says to him. It's a battle of the words. I have offerings. Today I have to pay my vows. I'm not a pagan. I, I need to get to Christmas Eve service first. I just want you to know I'm spiritual. We can do this, but you know, I, I'm not some kind of weird false God worshiper, I, I'm religious. These are all her tactics. She's talking. These are her words. I've already been to the service. I've sung some songs about Jesus. I've had communion. Everything's fine. And by the way, verse 15, so now I've come out to meet you, to seek you. Eagerly, I've found you. How hypocritical she is. She's not looking... For him, she's looking for a naive youth who won't listen to the words of scripture. And by the way, it's gonna be fun, young man. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linen from the Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. I did this for you, every expense for you. Imagine the delights waiting for you. And she's talking. It's a battle of the words. Come, let us take our fill of love. It's sexual love, by the way, there. Until morning, let us delight ourselves with love. Drinking regularly in the Bible is a metaphor for sexual activity. I remember with uh, my kids, uh, we live in in Massachusetts um, most of the year, and we don't have public sewer. We have a septic uh, that needs to be pumped out every couple years. And so, boy, when that thing's pumped out, it smells bad. And I thought... Hey, son, that's a perfect illustration. When they have to take the septic stuff out, the sludge. Did you know they call it sludge? Did you know they call it fecal sludge? The way the writer is setting this up is, you go to 7-Eleven and you get one of those family gulp-sized things, right? Not 32 ounces, not 44 ounces, but the family gulp, 64 ounces. And you get some of that crushed ice and you just dip it into the fecal sludge. Here you go. Bottoms up. And we're going to see in just a minute. On the flip side, in marriage, Evian water. Drink water from your own cistern. Anybody sleeping yet? I said to myself, I don't think I'm going to do the sludge thing. Needed to. That's what I would tell my son as we're sitting there talking about it. She's talking about linens and perfume and I'm telling you, there's an after. She says, verse 19, my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he'll come home. I mean, it's going to be a long time. You're going to listen to someone with much seductive speech. It's a battle of the words. She persuades him with her smooth talk. It's a battle of the words. She compels him. And by the way, This is the after. This is the doctrine of adultery. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast. When you see all at once in Scripture or suddenly in the Old Testament, most every one of the 25 times means doom. The arrow pierces its liver, bird rushes into the snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. An animal is so stupid it sees no connection between a trap and death. And morally stupid people fall into the same trap. It's a battle of the words, verse 24. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. So that's the first part. Avoid sexual immorality. Online are real. It's a battle of the words. But now we turn the page and now we have the good news. Now we have the positive side. By the way, this is how you should teach your children about anything. Remember Ephesians chapter 4? Don't lie. Tell the truth. Don't steal. Work. Right? So, here, avoid, but now enjoy. So this is the second half of our outline in Proverbs chapter 5. Let's go back there. Enjoy sexual morality. We're talking about in a marriage... We're talking about with a man and a woman who've always been a man and a woman. I'm sad to say that. We're talking about marriage love, conjugal love. Hebrews 13, the marriage bed is undefiled. That's what we're talking about here. A dad talking to his son. If you weren't here for the conference, uh, for the men's breakout session, sadly, most dads, because they're embarrassed to talk about sex with their children, instead let the world tell them. So for the sake of your kid, why don't you just be embarrassed, open up your Bible, laugh a little bit, and teach your children the truth. Wouldn't that be better? That'd be better because they're going to learn somewhere. So now we come to the good part. Enjoying sexual morality. The marital bed, husband and wife. This is an extension really of Genesis 2. I will make a helper for him, suitable for him. It's not good for a man to be alone. And you're going to see Solomon is going to be talking about the marriage bed. And he's going to say things like, it doesn't impoverish. It's good. It's right. It's holy. No matter what your past is, no matter what the world's telling you, no matter what kind of sins you've committed in the past, the blood of Christ is enough to forgive. By the way, that's one of the reasons why I know Christ's death was so magnificent. Because it can forgive sexual sins. Every kind of crazy sin, Jesus Dies for those sins of everybody who would believe, and we stand spotless and white. That's amazing to me. So what's he saying? verse 15? He's commanding his son to do this in the future with his wife. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Get the Evian deal right now? Just fresh water. Because the marriage bed's holy. It's right. God ordained it. But there's a time and place, and that's in marriage. Have relations only with your wife. By the way, cistern there is singular. Your wife. Song of Solomon chapter 4, it says, You're a garden spring, a well of fresh water. And what he's trying to tell his son is, if you're working out in the fields and and you're thirsty, you've got got a, 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 a thirst to be quenched. And so too... You, you have been given testosterone, young man, and you're, you have a desire to be with your wife, and now you're married, and you have this desire for physical intimacy. And the only way you can quench your thirst is your wife, and God has made it like that. And wives quenched with their husband as well. Your wife's like a spring of pure water. Drink from it. We all know what he's saying, but it's just couched in beautiful language. Verse 16, should your springs be stratter, sp- sprattered? <laughs> should you spratter it all around? <laughs> they always ask me with the radio show, um, how long does it take for you to edit your show? Edit. <laughs> should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Spend your sexual energy at a home, not running around everywhere hither, thither. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. This is exclusive. This is private. This is right. This is holy. This is the opposite of the earlier part of the chapter. Let your fountain be blessed. It doesn't impoverish in the marriage bed. It's blessing. How does God bless? And rejoice in the wife of your youth. Find pleasure in your spouse. And he, and he uses all kinds of language here of delight, and, and you think about word pictures, and, and you can study these on your own if you're like, if you'd like. a lovely deer, a graceful doe. I mean, the beauty of those, the, the gracefulness of those, the, the, the way they look, and, and you can see he's, he's got this language here that if you're, you're four, you don't get. But if you're 14, you get, because your dad's teaching you, and he's making the connections. When you're 44, you get. No wonder women were even named after such animals. Tabitha, Dorcas. (laughs) Is anybody here named Dorcas? I want to be careful before I say anything. I guess it was sweet sounding back in those days. Dorcas. And this is about as far as he pushes it here, but you get what he's saying. A father talking to his son inspired scripture. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Every other woman is off base. All parts of her body that might be attracting you men, you're not to stare at and gaze at and look at. So since God is not just a God of saying no when it comes to sanctification, he says, I've given you a wife. And of course, this applies for women with their husbands. And so enjoy them. Keep your eyes there. That's right. That's holy. That's good. There's nothing inappropriate about it. He's actually commanding his son. The woman's body is for the man. The man's body is for the woman. We looked at 1 Corinthians 7 yesterday. Sweet water, no sewer water here satisfaction and all because God's good. I don't know if you've ever thought to yourself, you know what? When you go out and taste food and you think salty, bitter, sweet, all these things. Sometimes I just eat and I think, you know what? This is just the Lord is so good. We don't really have Mexican food in in Massachusetts. It's just a uh, hot sauce in Massachusetts It's tomatoes chopped up maybe with a little onions. I'm going to have some salsa this afternoon. I'm going to think the, the the way God has designed my tongue to taste all those things and eat. And Can you imagine? He just blesses me. He's given me the greatest gift, forgiveness found in Christ Jesus. I don't have to pay for one of my sins, even though I deserve hell, I get heaven. And only but for love, he he's my substitute. And if he gives me all those gifts to show me how great he is, he gives me taste buds. He gives you wedding nights. He gives you romance with your husband. He gives you the marriage bed, dear couples. It's supposed to be seen as a blessing. God, thank you. No disapproval here. No kind of uh, uh, dad going, well, you know, or or a mom saying it's only for child raising. Uh, No, this is conjugal bliss. I know, I like it. I've got to have some amen. Life's a drink. The language here, I'll be careful, is exhilarated, ravished, infatuated, to reel under the influence of, to lose the, here's, here's Hallett, the, one of the most best uh, Hebrew uh, lexicons in all the world. To lose one ability to walk straight or stagger because of a consequence. Just be so exhilarated, you're just exhausted with your love for your wife. That's amazing. That's a dad talking to his son. I'm getting nervous already just talking about it right now. No wonder Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, enjoy life with the woman who you love all the days of your fleeting life. That's amazing. And then he gives a warning. He says, enjoy. But then he says, there's a warning. Avoid, enjoy, warning. God's omniscient. He's asking rhetorical questions at the end to make sure you're not captivated by another. It's almost like, son, avoid this woman. Enjoy your wife-to-be. And uh, it's not that he forgot about the first part, but he wants to just drive that nail in one last time. For why should you, my son, why should anybody here at Calvary be exhilarated with an adulteress? You say, well, I don't really do it For real, but it's just my Facebook friends. Why should you, anyone here, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Don't do it. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. God's a God of knowledges. The darkness doesn't hide the gaze of the Lord. There's no secret place to commit sexual sin. Verse 22, his own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held With the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction in the greatness of his folly. He will go astray. Now, I'm wondering, I, I can't put myself there, but I don't think that young son fell asleep during this little dad lecture. I don't think he was out there thinking, you know what, I just can't wait for this to get done. I think he was thinking, you know what, Dad, thank you for painting that picture. Thank you for giving me this instruction. It's important. Uh, Dad, I, I want to be that kind of man. Or if it was a, a woman receiving the instruction from a mom, I want to be that kind of woman. And so this just isn't written in a book for people back then. This is the abiding, transchronological word, transcultural word of God. And so I, I look to you, dear Christian... You have to avoid sexual immorality. If you're in some kind of relationship now, you need to repent, online or real. Run. And if you're in a marriage, enjoy your spouse. And don't see it as impoverishing, but a blessing from God. I know what you're thinking, maybe. I know you're thinking, you know what? There have been some things in my past that I've done, and could God ever forgive me? Does God forgive sexual sin? Praise the Lord, he does. Aren't you glad? I'm so happy for that. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we close. I want you to know that even though sexual sin is so defiling, even though sexual sin, practiced as a lifestyle, shows that people need to be born again. For the Christian that struggles with sexual sin, and maybe it's just with your mind, I mean... We're thinking about, remember when Jesus said, if you look with a, at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed what? Adultery? Right, we, we struggle with sexual sin and, and sometimes we fall. Talked to somebody just recently, you know, if you struggle with sexual sin and you fall too much, certainly that means you lose your salvation. That, that isn't true at all. I just want you to be reminded of that paradigm one last time from the Heidelberg Catechism, and that is guilt, grace, and gratitude. That we have a lot of guilt. Even as Christians, we don't do what we are supposed to do, Romans 7. But friend, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That should not make us want to sin. That should make us want to run from sin. But I like how Peter talks. Um, did Peter ever sin? <laughs> You're like seven times 70 here. <laughs> I just want you to get a glimpse of Peter writing. And if you've committed sexual sin and you want to know if God still loves you, dear Christian, he's not talking about sexual sin here, but it's for all sins. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy You greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of faith, uh, uh, outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The context for first Peter, there's trials, there's suffering, there's persecutions, they're persecuting you. And I know how people think in those things. I just want you to know you're safe and secure because salvation is of the Lord. You are regenerated monergistically. You're born again, God alone working. Is that true? That is exactly true. I did not on May 12, 1960 bear myself. I was born. And when you became born again, can you imagine the transactions that were made? And here's how God sees you every one of your sins, including sexual sins, that you would even commit as a Christian even, placed on Jesus. God treated him as if he committed them even though he never did. And then Jesus, who was tempted in every way, including this way, he was a man. All his perfect righteousness for those temptations that he stood up against and every other bit of obedience that the law required is placed on you. And God sees you as a perfect Christian and God sees you As a righteous Christian. John Bunyan said, when asked, are you righteous? And he said, my righteousness has been in heaven for 1,700 years. My righteousness and your righteousness has been in heaven for 2,000 years. Dear Christian, you can be forgiven. And since you're forgiven, run from the rest. Repent from the rest and and be free. If you're not a Christian, you've got bigger problems than just sexual sin. You've got all kinds of sins. You might even be sexually pure, but you have other sins. And if you could get to heaven based on your own goodness, dear sinner, dear unbeliever, why kill Jesus? But your sins were so bad, along with mine, that it required the death of Jesus. And we know he was raised from the dead. And your response, dear unbeliever, would be to believe. And your dear response, believer, should be what? Lord, thank you for forgiving sins. And thank you for giving me instructions. And help me heed the words of you, not heed the words of the world. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, left to ourselves, we would not inherit the kingdom of God. But your son interceded, your son intervened, your son intercepted us because he was on a rescue mission and he rescued us and he saved us. We're thankful that you have been patient with us as Christians. And in light of that great patience, help us to be beacons of light and purity that we might even teach our sons and daughters about the way of the Lord. And that is, there's forgiveness found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. In His name we pray. Amen.